What's happening, security gang? Welcome to another episode of the Sysso Talk podcast. I've got a very, very special guest with me here today. Dmitry Sokolovsky is going to be joining me in just a minute. I can't wait for this episode. Literally, we've been talking for like 20 minutes here before we even started the recording. And I wish I would have recorded those 20 minutes because they would have made gold for this podcast. Like so much stuff to talk about. So it's a packed, packed show. Make sure to subscribe, follow us on our YouTube channel, on our favorite podcast listening platform. It's got a really fun episode. I'm not going to waste your time with any more. Pack it in. Get ready. Sisso talk time. Here we go, y'all. From the Cyber Hub Bunker in studio, you're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Mr. Sokolovsky, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's amazing. Starting music just really gave me. We totally should have recorded. I told you we should have been recording from the beginning. We should have. But then, you know, some of the conversations, I don't always feel like, you know, <laughs> I just I feel like some conversations are better left um, kind of behind the scenes sometimes. Right. I agree. Um, we won't tell people what we talked about. We won't tell people what we talked about, although we've got a fun topic uh, today. We're, we're going to be all over the place for everyone listening. Um because really, we're, we're, we're recording this past the National Cybersecurity Strategy document, which talks about zero trust, talks about a whole bunch of stuff that I think is, is very applicable for a lot of CISOs. But it, it also, I think, adds a level of uh, uh, complexity and, and, uh, and kind of, I think, in, in, two out of the, in, in three out of the five pillars, they, they hit the mark. And I think in, in two other pillars, they completely miss it. Um, but that's my humble opinion. We'll hear Dimitri's here on the episode as well. Um, Dimitri, for our audience who don't know that you're the CISO over at Avid Technology, why don't you share a little bit about your background and how you got into your role as a CISO? Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm the CISO and the CSO at Avid Technology as a CISO responsible for corporate security, enterprise security, as the CSO responsible for product security, both in terms of making sure our products have necessary security features for the likes of me and our customer side being able to use our tools within their InfoSec programs, but also to make sure that our products are made securely so we don't end up being the gateway for some fancy bear walking into the customer environment. And some of our customers are some of the largest entertainment and media companies in the world, so the, the damage could be could be severe. Uh, I've been here for four plus years prior to uh, Avid. I spent 11 years at CyberArk Software, probably a somewhat known uh, uh, privilege access management vendor. Uh, when I got my badge at CyberArk in 2007, uh, it said for, number was 47. I don't think I, I don't know <laughs> if it was number 47 in the company, but it was really early. Uh, I ran the professional services implementation services team in the Americas for nine years. Uh, all those breaches that we went out to to help remediate and uh, some that we can't talk about that, that weren't in the news, that was my team. And the last couple of years, it was a cloud security architect for the uh, cyber cloud solutions that were being, um, at the time, developed and put out. And prior to CyberArk, another 10 plus years of general IT practice of all kinds. So I'm a jack of all trades uh, and now on the bleeding edge of all of that insecurity. 
Yeah, security is, is, is a lot of fun. I love hearing different backgrounds, though. Um, kind of growing from the vendor side to the practitioner side is always a, you know, we're, we're seeing practitioners go to the vendor side now, which I, which I find very fascinating. The kind of that, I feel like it's it's a revolving door of sorts, right? You go, you come a CISO, you go, you do a stint with a vendor, you end up back as a CISO somewhere. And it's kind of how you avoid burnout a little bit, right? Uh, not avoid. I think you go from one to the other to recuperate, right? You go from CISO to be a vendor as a vacation. So the first year of you being there, it's like, oh, whoo, I'm not on call anymore. Things are great. And then a year into it, you're like, oh my God, this is a nut show. What do I do? And then another two, three years goes <laughs> by, you burn out there. Like, I got to go do this safe and secure thing. Just do the CISO thing over there somewhere. And it just keeps rolling. It is. It's, it's, it's a lot of, it, you know, I got to tell you, I, I love being a CISO. Um, I don't think it's a job. For me at this point right like i don't think it was ever a job i felt like it was always like i get to do this and get paid for it wow you you really took this podcast in, in all the kinds of directions so let's touch on this first uh do you know what your purpose in life is can Mine? you yeah can you can you vocalize what your purpose in life is absolutely absolutely Absolutely. My, my purpose in life is, uh, uh, first and foremost, um, I, I give glory to God for Hashem to everything I've got in my life because I wouldn't have had any of it without him, right? He's shown me mercy more times than I think a human deserves. <laughs> um, and he's shown me favor way more times than one can deserve. So first of all, all credit goes to Hashem. But then my, my real purpose in life is is to secure my, my family and, and the company I work with and, and, and ensure that, that I'm doing the best that I can and give them the best advantage uh, to be able to survive and thrive. Uh, Japanese have this uh, I, term, definition, um, ikagai, purpose in life. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a combination. It looks like a Venn diagram, a fairly complex Venn diagram, four circles overlapping. One circle, what do you love to do? Second circle, what are you good at? Third circle, what does the world need? And fourth circle, what do you get paid to do? And in the middle there, that's your purpose in life. It sounds like you found yours in this vocation, and so have I. This is why we do it. For you know, This is our purpose in life. And it is needed in the world, helpful to others, makes money, and we love doing it. This is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. Um... I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, so it's not about security. It's about all those other things. I, like you, you really nailed it. Like, because this was my, my, what I was thinking about over the past couple of weeks. What's my purpose in life? And then when you ask yourself those questions, there's a whole way to, to approach the, the figuring this out if you don't know. And because if you don't know, you will not be happy. The goal is to be happy. How do you be happy? How, how, are you, how can you be happy is when you do what you love you can get paid for it. It's helpful to others and the world needs it. Those are the four things. If you do them all together, then you're happy. Shocking how it is. Now it is different for different people, but once you go through that, you, you, you know, you, you figure out what, what makes you happy. And this, this, this profession, this career is, is definitely putting me there. I think our career has a very, um, a very clear trajectory towards success. Um, and I think this career is very challenging because really, you know, 
a lot of people will look at the S in our title and say it's not it doesn't stand for security stands for scapegoat stands for a lot of things but security ain't one of them absolutely and um i put a i put a comment uh, on on linkedin maybe last week about uh what would i do if i was a large corporation i was trying to transfer my risk of going to prison a good way would be to get a uh, you know a person with that title with the word security in that title taking taking the fall for you so um, I'm not sure that, by the way, just as a side note, I don't know if security is the right term for this whole industry. It's my hot take. You know, industry formerly known as cybersecurity. Well, so, so yes, but, but guess what? The white house last week is still calling it cybersecurity, <laughs> right? Uh, as a, as, as of about five minutes ago, it's still called cyber. I'd love to change the name. Uh, because, you know, it goes kind of along with the whole zero trust conversation. You know, let's change the name. Um, John came up with a brilliant strategy, uh, but I don't think he was a marketing guy, right? I think he called it zero trust with the uh, kind of very, de- very how developers sometimes name stuff. Very, very kind of, this is what it means. It's a direct meaning of the name. And you're like, yeah, do you understand that it's very hard to go to your board of directors and other executives and say the word zero trust in today's corporate culture? It, it, um, what's what's worse now you're walking around and trying to, you're like all these mosquitoes, like, Oh, we got to go do zero trust. No, 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 you don't do zero trust. Let's all yeah. calm down. And then you get those questions from, from people that don't understand. Oh, how do we do zero trust? Even better from vendors that's supposed to understand. We got zero trust for you. Yeah, fifteen minute deployment. So easy a caveman could do it, um, or a CISO, or a CISO. You know, let's let's talk a little bit about the national cybersecurity strategy because I feel like it's a it's a hot topic. I've seen it shared on LinkedIn. I think uh, hundreds of thousands of times by a lot of cybersecurity practitioners. Um, what's your hot take on it? It doesn't explain the why. It doesn't explain the why that needs to be explained to the population because people think that population, the people in, in this country cannot take the, the reality um, of, of the reason why we're doing, what, why we need to do this. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure I agree with the specifics of what was released and so on. Like all that is um, whatever, but the fifth generation warfare that we're seeing around us in Europe, in Americas, that's, that's not going anywhere. And our government, I think is seeing that. And so to be able to explain it to the population is very important. Yeah. I think that that's a good hot take. I think there's a bit of a why at the very beginning of the document and the why at the very beginning is explained in a paragraph and it's not sufficient enough, but it says, as we become more intertwined in technologies, and I'm quoting, I'm not quoting the document here. I'm kind of paraphrasing it to everyone listening. I will put the link in the show notes for everyone to see, and you can go to uh, the podcast I did on Thursday last week, uh, breaking down the entire cybersecurity, na- national cybersecurity strategy. Um, and it was the first thing I touched on. They kind of explained the why. They say we live in a cloud world where te- we're more reliant on technology, and so we need a cybersecurity strategy. That's it. They don't ex- and, and, then, and then they kind of go into uh, what I like to call the axis of evil. The axis of evil is China, Russia, 
North Korea and Iran. Those are the new axes of evils. And that's kind of bipartisan at this point. But do we explain that enough? No. But, because, but then again, because, the, because the why is important for what to do and how to do it. Right? We're explaining this is a big problem for the country. Well, why is it a big problem? Well, some Chinese, some Iranians, but that's not lending in people's uh, memories and minds and understanding sufficiently enough. We're not, we talked about, before we started, we talked about Ukraine, we talked about that. That is a, a kinetic conflict, shooting, war, people are dying. But all everything that's happening on the ground right now is smaller part of the overall conflict. The bigger part of the conflict is happening online. It's happening in the information field it's happening on the internet it's there it's on the social is, media it's, it's on it's, social media it's information warf warfare is what that is primarily and that's why we need a strategy why do you need a strategy in the first place by the way you need a strategy when you don't have enough resources to simply go and fix a thing that's why you need a strategy mm -hmm. always well so so here's the thing though we live and i think um the greatest country on the planet um, with a, an enormous amount of wealth. It's in fact, this country is so wealthy that we have, what is it? $1.7 billion in romance scams a year. And somehow we still survive. That's larger than some other countries, entire economies. Um, but, I don't but the think we lack resources. We lack direction. We lack unity. Exactly. But but you, that's where why would have helped. If we can get people to understand the why. I mean, why do people not do something? Why are we not secure? Why do we need a strategy? The three reasons why people don't do something. They don't know about it. They don't know how to do it. Or they don't want to do it. So so one of the things, you know, you, you, you early on in the show talked about your role. You're, you're a CISO and a CSO and you're in charge of product security. Yes. One of the pillars there talks about passing the buck to you in, in your product development, saying if you're releasing products with known vulnerabilities, you're no, you can no longer waive that liability in a contractual clause that they're essentially wanting to make it so that if you release uh, technology with vulnerabilities that into critical infrastructure, that's very important or into people's data, right? Then you as a business are liable for that, which again, brings back the whole security scapegoat idea into this thing. Um, I feel like that's, first of all, conceptually, it's addressing the root cause of the problem. Now, the or, why or try, and the or how. Try, or trying to. Trying to, right? It's better than telling companies you need to comply with all these different standards without holding the technology providers they bring to those same standards. And then if, and, and so, and so it's, it's a good, it's good. Now, the how and why. Uh, um, th that's what scares the living daylight out of me now, right? Because it's going to be someone's telling them you should use this standard over this standard, or you should make it. So I've literally spoken to staffers since this document came out, Dimitri. One of them said, we're thinking you shouldn't have more than 10% vulnerabilities in your software. And I'm like, who are you talking to? What are your thoughts on kind of vulnerability in the national cybersecurity strategy document? 
Um, I'm of two minds. There's two, two sides to this, right? Obviously, right. we have a lot of, we have people that don't fully understand the subject that are trying to govern it. That's, that's part of it. But they're doing it because we haven't. We haven't done enough, right? It's, it's, it's like, well, we've been asking you for many years to get this thing under control. And the best you could have came up with is an open source SAM and a, and a, and a commercial BSIM. And this is barely being deployed despite having been fully explained, described and structured and everything. Just go and do it. But you haven't done it. Why haven't you done it? Because you don't think there is impact on your bottom line if you don't do it or not, a bit, not enough of an impact to the bottom line if you don't do it. So you know what? We, the government, think... We get your hint. You need to have it directly be impacting your bottom line. No problem. Here you go. So now you're on the hook. Yeah, we know it's a little bit of a bull in a china shop, but we feel like in the grand scheme of uh, national risk assessment, like if we look at it from national risk assessment perspective, the damage that our bear in a china shop thing or elephant in a china shop thing is going to cause is less degrees less than what would have been otherwise a situation because of the fancy bears and the fancy pandas in our proverbial china shop um, and i can't blame them for it they have to do something and if anything i think they're actually a little they, they're you know reading what reading the rules they're very close to what majority of us would have put there Sure, they went overboard here. They may be not specific over there and et cetera, et cetera. But again, in the grand scheme of things, I think that's the least uh, least of our problems, the, the, the level of, of input and who, who says what. And we'll figure that out, by the way. We will figure this out. Money will figure it out. Well, see, to me, this is going to be the, the ultimate test for our community, right? Could we potentially ink a document that goes to our legislatures, right? To, that goes to our respective congressmen and senators, congressmen, women, and senators, and says, it's great that you want to go ahead and execute on this, but really here are some things you should know. And I feel like it's almost a responsibility of every single one of us to reach out to their elected representative and just be like, can I get 30 minutes on your calendar to talk a little bit about this? Or what's the next step after that? protest i don't know <laughs> oh, come on get elected <laughs> get elected and start a committee i mean we have an armed forces committee we have an intelligence committee do we not we do yeah but, where is but, it where is a cyber committee so cyber committee sits under national national uh security and homeland security so in the senate it sits under senator warner and rubio um who are both friendly to the cyber community in congress yeah. it sits under the the also the national security and but is there is there a cybersecurity subcommittee, for example? There isn't a cybersecurity subcommittee to my knowledge. And I think part of that, by the way, is I think part of that is is the same as to why we don't have a Navy uh, subcommittee or an Air Force subcommittee, right? You have kind of a military subcommittee. Um, security is no longer just one single function. It's an entire function across many different aspects. And so, so I think cyber touches everything. And so, and, we and this is where I'm going to bring it back to you. To you asking me for a hot take, back to word security. It, it's not about security. We are not a cybersecurity function. 
we are what used to be a cybersecurity function, but I think we're a lot more than that. I think we're honestly, a business I think function. So. I think CIOs should be reporting to CISOs. And, and you know what? That's not far-fetched because in some companies now, the CISO ranks higher among among the executive teams than, than the CIO does. And for and for good reason. And and it's not because we are because security is bigger than technology. It's because technology is just one of the things that creates business risk. Correct. And what our teams are now becoming are business risk management teams. And we are business risk management executives of which IT is just one, uh, one risk. It's one of the bigger ones because of the complexity that comes with it, but it's just one of them. And just right. like the same, with the same way, if we look at it at a national level, it's not a security problem. It's a risk management function risk management problem or even more specifically complexity management problem at a national level. And so that's why I don't think the word security or cybersecurity is, is no longer relevant. So so you bring up a really good point and I, and I loved your idea of, of instead of protesting, getting elected, um, kind of shows, shows, shows our different strategies. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I feel like I feel like anytime you want to run for office, it's just as bad as being a CISO almost. Hey, it's uh, worse. Pays yeah, less. It's, it pays less, and and it's a bigger headache. Um, but but you you kind of look at the program, and 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 I looked at the National Cybersecurity, and like I said, I did a whole podcast on it. They do talk about zero trust, and I think there's, you know, the idea of implementing a zero trust architecture across the entire government. How they're going to do that is, you know, again. Great question, and I don't know that there's many answers to it today. Um, Just like you would with a regular InfoSec program. Start, yeah, start, only, with, start with inventory. Yeah, see, see, so so that's so much easier <laughs> said than done. Um, have you ever asked anyone? I mean, have you ever asked anyone? Do you know? Do you know? I mean, what's if 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 you and I sat on a roundtable with twenty or thirty of our other peers and we said, "What's your number one challenge?" We're all going to start off with what we just said: inventory, inventory, and it's right? a challenge. It's a challenge still for us, by the way, for the same reason why this strategy has been released, because businesses are still not understanding the magnitude of the risk um, that is facing them, and as a result, not dedicating necessary resources. If we had the resources we needed, we would have we would have been able to answer some of the basic questions like what's in our network and who is on our network. Those two things right there would be a really good foundation to start looking at zero trust, would it not? It that would be amazing. Uh, we, we have multiple challenges. A lot of them, by the way, start at the IT office, right? Um, conversations around bring your own laptop to work or uh, BYOD. I, I've got a real issue with those. Um, I, I kill, I killed that internally a bit back. I said, I don't think we can do BYOD. I don't think we can. I, I don't think we can do that and not have the level of risk. I don't think yeah. we can do it responsibly. I don't think it's fair to go to an employee and say, use your own laptop, but you can't use it for these purposes, or you've got to put these softwares on there and or, or give us control, full control of your laptop. Right. Or your cell phone. That that's another big one for me, right? And, and and that's why, you know, you've got Intune and um and a whole bunch of other tools that are out there 
that are designed to help you kind of segment and isolate your data on someone's mobile device. But it's impossible to do that on a laptop. It's impossible. You just gave a good example of this whole problem, right? We have we have a technical configuration for which we need a security solution to mitigate the risk brought in by an incorrectly designed technical configuration. That's what, like, if we start looking at all these problems, they're not here because we, security, suck at what we do. It's because business never assumed risk management as a function or priority, or rather, let me rephrase that. The only risk that they were mitigating for was nuclear disaster back to the ARPANET days. And since then, it really hasn't changed that much. The scope of your nuclear disaster, quote unquote, really shrunk all the way down to like, I'm out of power, right? Do I need a UPS or not? And my drive died, do I need a second one? But really what you're doing is you are scaling up and down your nuclear disaster. But that's, that's all that we were trying to protect for. And from 1978, when the first spam email went out, 1978, a year after ARPANET was, was out there, humans have been trying to abuse this beautiful thing called technology and we're very successful at it. And yet no one adjusted the risk management, the risk assessment profiles from nuclear disaster to John and their kid downloading another torrent. No one ever changed that. And again, I'm hoping this, so we back to the strategy. Strategy is an is a attempt to solve a problem when there isn't enough resources. And so I think, I think to your point, we have the money. That's not the resources I'm talking about. The resources are here. People are not yet. It's almost, in my mind, the whole strategy is really um, an attempt to change the security culture, which is what I try to do and I hope many other CISOs. That's the primary thing a CISO should be doing. With everything else CISO is actually tactically doing, the end goal, the result when the CISO leaves or whenever CISO can say, I've done my job, is when the security culture is at a certain level. And the security culture or risk management culture or complexity management culture, whatever you want to call it, culture in the country in at a national level is not there yet. And in my mind, that's what the strategy is for. Nothing specifically tactical. So I can agree with you 100% on what you just said. There's... Um... One, one of the things discussed is workforce development in the national cybersecurity strategy and kind of bringing new minds, diverse set of minds into the, to, into the workforce. Completely agree with that. Um, but, but this is where resources, AKA money comes a big way towards it, right? This is where you can go to a company and say for every person you bring on as a cybersecurity intern, give them six months, we'll underwrite, we'll give you a tax break of half of whatever you give them. Wow. Right? You'll get some credit. Because, I mean, f- for the government, it's actually a good ROI, right? Give the company, I'll pay you 60 grand a year, I get a $30,000 tax write-off, so you cost me 30, I'm training you training. in that time period. Right? That's I'm a quick way to train a large workforce, yes. Right, I'm bringing you in, but then, now those people are ready to go a year later, and now they're earning 80 but now they're paying full taxes on it. So really you're getting your tax break back within two, three years of them becoming a tax earning job, you know, employed member of society um, as at the federal level, right? You're talking about, what was that, uh, the bill after the, uh, uh, after the war, when the veterans uh, had the free education? The the GI bill? 
the GI Bill, but this in this case, cyber, uh, whatever we're going to call it, cybersecurity so, bill. So when, when you're discharged from the military, uh, we're all given, um, there's a period of time in the last six months where you can actually hire a veteran before they're discharged and the government will still pay them while they work for you. I didn't know that. Yeah, the, the, that program absolutely does exist. The whole human cyber initiative that Paul um, uh, Paul uh, Paul Cumming is running is 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 on top of that, um, and and then uh, Boots to Books is also there. Uh, there's a whole bunch of orgs that that you can connect with, and you're, you're hiring these veterans as they're coming out. So one, they've got leadership skills and and they've got commitment skills because there's no way you survive in the military for four, eight, 10, 12 years without having those skills, right? I don't care what anyone says. 20% um, of my team are veterans. Right. Um, I, I try to make it 50 or 60 simply because I'm, I'm, I'm a vet myself. And so I have a, I have a weak spot for my fellow. I, yeah, me too. I'm like every time um, I, every chance I get. Right. And so, um, so, 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 so there's that piece. But then if the government underwrites that, then you can go look at major corporations, right? The big companies that have the capacity to train people, right? You and I with small teams and our small companies might be able to take one or two, yeah. but the fortune 500s, the fortune 100s, those CFOs are going to look at that and be like, we got a $30,000 tax break or a 50% tax break on any cybersecurity person we bring in that we're training for a job. It's better than college, right? So go get your, 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 um, your security plus cert, go get any cert you can, apply for an entry-level role under this program. You don't have to have college debt, right? So right now you're on top of the world. You're going, you're spending maybe a few thousand dollars to get certified. You go into one of the Fortune 100s as an, as an understudy, as an intern, right? So you're doing a lot of garbage work. I'm sorry, you're writing a bunch of AARs. You're probably doing all the grunt work no one wants you to do, like documentation, and you're learning technical writing and a little bit of project management and, and in the process, you're understanding security thinking and strategy and challenges and technology. And you're realizing just how wide the scope of security really is. Government's underwriting it. That person can either become your next star or you can make them a free agent a year later. But now they're a free agent with a year on their resume under one of the most advanced cybersecurity programs on the planet within a private corporation. And they can go anywhere. Those are the and people who, by the way, will become CISA analyst for $85,000 a year. Super happy to do the work. And they still have the military background to fall back on, which brings a lot Correct. of a lot of intangibles that you have a very hard time finding in, in regular college graduates. Yep. But totally even college up. graduates have a different way of thinking and, and they yep. bring a different set of order and, and, and study that, that's also valuable. I was, I was in one of those. But yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, I kind of wanted to get your take though on one last thing here before while well, we're we're at time. So <laughs> time is flying. Yeah, man, we're you flying know, here. Time's flying, but but I kind of wanted to be really really mindful of that. But I wanted to get your take on one last thing. Looking at the strategy overall, it's great that we have it. You keep talking about kind of like the resources and the why. Um, one of the things in there is EPA, TSA somehow have been given cybersecurity responsibilities, but oddly enough, CISA is mentioned. Often, but not in any role that would give it any sort of control. Do you think that's a miss on the document? Probably, but I don't think it was um, just like a lot of stuff in that document. Uh, it's designed to. Look, it's a political document. Correct. What's, what's politics about? 
politics yeah i mean i i, I get it i mean no no hold on there is there is a like a there's a there's a i'll say it I, it won't be guessing politics is about bringing people together well find or finding finding common ground it doesn't mean full agreement right but it means participation towards the goal so while i probably if i simply ask me where what does epa and tsa have to do with cybersecurity i'm right off top of my head i will say nothing but at the same time knowing what i know about cyber risk i'll say that the way epa and tsa both operate themselves and guide their um uh, the the areas of their uh, coverage if the way they guide and operate the entities and players within those fields if they can all reduce their complexity by 1%, complexity of their operations and what they do and how they do, then all of us in cybersecurity will benefit. So if they can all get together with CISA or under CISA's guidance and say, hey, EPA and TSA, you're responsible for massive areas of the economy. Can you work on lowering complexity? Because if you can, that will make it easier for these entities all to be following cybersecurity rules and it will make CISA's job better across the board. That's how I'm looking at it. Though I do agree that it probably could have been worded better. It's 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 not worded better. I think for a few a few reasons, like the EPA over the weekend, like the day after the document, telling every state auditor, you've got to start reporting cyber risk to us that you see in every water system in the country. And I'm just like, so let's say they report it to you. Do you know what you're looking at? Do you understand what that risk really means? Do you know how to mitigate that risk or are you going to become the middleman? Meaning you're going to get that risk. You're going to go to CISA and be like, we have all these water systems with all these, ris all these risks. What can you do? And CISA is going to look at it and go, well, we don't have the funding. We don't have the people, right? Because this is under EPA. Hey, EPA, solve it yourselves. Could it be CISA coming instead of saying that CISA would say, we don't have the funding of the people to run, to improve, to manage this risk. But we can dedicate a little of our time to guide the EPA who does. So I can tell you've never been in government. <laughs> um, I have good. That's, I have, that's not what's going to happen. Hope. I have Here, hope. Here's, here's, here's exactly what's going to happen. The EPA is going to be like, CISA doesn't have time for us. CISA is going to be like, we're not getting any funding for this. Because at the end of the day, every government agency is a business. And the way you make a case for your business is by making sure that the budget that you get from Congress covers everything you need. So the EPA is going to go to Congress and be like, we need money. And then they're going to start building something of their own. Okay. And, again, that's the worst case scenario. I'm hoping that they'll come out and say, we need I, money. And they've been told, I, I, look, just lower your complexity a little bit. It'll be cheaper. So, so I, I wish it was like that, <laughs> but you, you, you don't know this government. You don't know the, the people I, behind it unfortunately and 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 i doubt it i i pray to god that you're right i choose to stay positive i i i i respect that <laughs> um but um uh, I, I respect that but but i don't think that's going to be the case i think look I think people over profits this is what we're what, what we were about look I, I agree that we need to take care of people there's there's no doubt in my mind um but but the way to take care of people is to really um one ensure that that we give them the resiliency and the self resiliency to be able to deal with everything set in front of them, right? A good employer, a good employer provides resources to their employee. People over profit is resources and training. If you, if you run for office, 
I will write you an ad and endorse it myself. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I don't think I'm crazy enough to do that. Uh, um, I don't think I'm crazy enough to do that. I'm going to put you on the hot seat, Dimitri. Oh, uh, no. I'm going to put you on the hot seat, the favorite part of the show. Uh, one buzzword you'd bury in my buzzword graveyard. Cybersecurity. Wow, that's a first. I've got to dig a fresh grave. I'll, I'll let I'll let the undertaker know. We gotta we gotta bear, we gotta dig a whole new grave because cybersecurity's <laughs> never been in the graveyard. We've had a bunch of other words, never cyber. Why cyber? Because I mean, I know you said the whole podcast. Yeah, it's a misnomer for what it covers: business complexity management, business risk management. You name it, any of the of those things that have to, that deal with what we deal with with lowering risk by lowering complexity. That's what we do. And we do this at a at national world level. So cybersecurity is just a small part of what we do. And yet that's what people remember. Agreed. What's the last song that you've listened to on your playlist? Uh, Girl from Ipanema. Okay. It's a jazz, jazz classic. And I, I and there's so many different iterations of it. Everyone has done it over the years. And I love every single one of them. I love it. And are you reading a book right now? I am. What are you reading? You're going to laugh. I'm reading How to Measure Anything in Cybersecurity by Doug Hubbard. Okay. I'm not going to laugh. I enjoy a lot of the books behind me. A lot of them are InfoSec books uh, and geopolitical ones. Oh. Uh, the China 100-year plan. <laughs> uh, I'm reading uh, a lot of live political stuff right now coming out of Europe and China. So, yeah, this is happening live. So, so I was, uh, I'm actually... Um, very interesting. I'm reading a book about uh, um, Vladimir Putin's rise to power. Um, and it's, it's really not a book. It's, it's, um, it's a link on Substack, and I'll put it in the show notes for everyone to see. Um, it's, it's this uh, former Intel, uh, Russian Intel officer that turned, who served with Putin in the KGB. It mm -hmm. talks about Putin's rise uh, from a poor kid um, whose dad actually betrayed the Soviet Union. His dad was uh, against communism to ha his rise into communism, uh, into leadership. Um, and after Gorbachev and kind of the stuff that he's done over the last 20 years across Russia um, and, uh, and, and, and the current state of mind uh, of what this person thinks Putin is going through the head of Putin right now. And it's, uh, I think it's a very interesting read uh, for, 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 for a multitude of reasons. Uh, Rolling it back to the beginning of our conversation to the why of national cybersecurity strategy. Yeah. Um, he's definitely one of those reasons. Although I think China's a bigger risk than Russia. I think, I, f I, I think the panda is a bigger threat than the bear. I'm not dismissing the bear. No, for sure. I think I the, agree. Panda, the I... panda has a whole lot more resources than the bear at this point. Yes. And they think longer term, which is a much bigger issue. Right. Um, the, the bears are disruptive, but you know, they're all thinning out because there's not enough salmon in the water. But pandas um, are here forever, they can eat nothing. The pandas but are eating what I hear, yeah, yeah they, they, they just continue and they eat all day long. I mean, pandas don't stop eating, yeah, I know, right? Saying that. So, sleep, eat, sleep, yeah, sleep, eat, sleep. That's all they do. Um, occasionally they have adult fun, but this is a family friendly show, so we won't get into that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this escalated quickly <laughs> yeah um, um gang join me in thanking dimitri sokolovsky for being on the show today dimitri how can people follow you and be in touch with you 
just find me on LinkedIn. My first name, last name. I Twitter is not a big thing for me, especially since all the, the recent uh, changes. LinkedIn is really my only uh, online presence. And uh, audiencefirst.fm slash academy. Classes that I teach that we build there to help yeah, you with all understand. Danny. Yeah, with Danny. Exactly. Danny was on your show, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah two weeks ago. Yeah. The, yeah. And uh, two weeks ago. Our essentials class, two hours of foundational stuff about our jobs, CISO jobs, CISO industry, CISO pain, CISO tears. Uh, that class is out there. Uh, you can all sign up and just watch it. Two hours of, uh, of me wearing my llama sweater, uh, geeking it out. Well, anything with you in a llama sweater is worth watching. There so you go. Th there's, there's that. Thank you for being on the show, Dimitri. Really appreciate it. We could have gone for another hour. I feel like this could have totally been a Joe Rogan style podcast. We could have gone for like three hours, lit a cigar, uh, maybe had a little bit of bourbon. Um, we really need to do that next time we meet yes. for sure. See, yeah, I got, I, wait, I got some whiskey up there on the shelf. Yeah. I've, I've got whiskey behind me. Um, and, 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 uh, and I've also got some, some guns behind me. It's a date, James. It's a date. It's a date. We've got it. Folks, thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe, follow the podcast. We've got great episodes coming weekly this season with some great minds like Dimitri and I'm gonna have to bring Dimitri back again, maybe this season so we can go through zero trust. Cause I'm telling you, if you got, if I would have recorded the first 20 minutes, it would have been added to this. You guys wouldn't have been able to put this podcast down. It's, it's that good. It's like McDonald's hotcakes. They don't last. That's why McDonald's serves them all. Day. All right, y'all have a great rest of your day. Dimitri. Thanks again. Most importantly, crying stay cyber safe. Thanks. Thank you. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues and get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.